We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall, and as always, joined by my co-host, John Ellis. John, what's going on? What's going on? Well, I don't know. What's going on with you? Have you been hiding in the woods? It's been a uh, trade, Billy Marshall. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on, Billy? <laughs> it's been a while. and a Yes, there is. I uh, kind of anticipated this day coming. One of the quarterbacks, a quarterback, would be traded here. Um, yeah, we'll get into that right. in a minute, but... Uh, we have a special guest to help us kind of review that trade, digest all the angles, short-term and long-term. Uh, we have Josh Klein from The Riot Report. Josh, what's up, man? Hey, guys. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, on this momentous occasion, quarterback of the future and for the next decade uh, is on the roster for the Carolina Panthers. And yes. uh, I'm excited to celebrate with you guys. Oh, I love it. Billy, I love it. And this is what we talk about all the time is positive momentum. And that's why we got Josh Klein here to see it through, my friend, because it's not like we haven't done this last year and the year before that. And it's an exercise that continues. Josh, welcome to the show, man. Um, it's, it's been a minute since we've seen each other and we've never formally talked here. So it's great to get your perspective. I love your work. You know that you guys do a great pod and just, just great reporting. So when did Baker enter this equation? Cause for the longest time, it was Watson Stafford. They just kept swinging here. When did Baker become part of the conversation for Carolina? As far as you know? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you use the phrase kept swinging because they really did. Obviously they took their shot at Stafford last year. That didn't work out. So then they took their downgrade to the, uh, to Sam Darnold. And this year, uh, the, the continued, uh, the continued journey towards Deshaun Watson, uh, that lasted two years went <laughs> right. until he, until he rejected, uh, the Panthers. And then once that happened, and then obviously, they, they kind of looked at the rest of the quarterbacks around because 
Uh, Matt Rule and the rest of this front office, they, they have this vision that they can, you know, that they can find uh, a, a quarterback and an elite quarterback that can be a leader of, uh, of a winning team where other teams couldn't. Uh, whether it was Sam, they thought that they could find uh, the magic to unlock Sam Darnold uh, when the Jets couldn't, and they feel like they can unlock whoever is going to be on this roster. And so they, they looked around and they said, who is available right now? And it kind of, I'll be honest with you guys. I've been hearing the name Baker Mayfield since like March. So, uh, and and by the time the draft rolled around, it was never a question of, I, you know, I saw a lot of like, Oh, maybe it's going to be Jimmy G and maybe this is going to happen. It was never going to be anybody but Baker Mayfield. Um, I, I like for, I, I heard it pretty definitively. Um, and it's one of those things where you, uh, you, you hesitate because you don't want to be wrong, uh, because, you know, things in the NFL can change, uh, so quickly. And so when you, when you kind of publicly make a statement that this is going to happen, um, you, you look like a, like a real asshole if, uh, oh, if, trust the, me. if the yeah. team <laughs> breaks down and says they don't want to yep. do it. So, but, but behind the scenes, like I, I was hearing Baker for a really long time. I, I had heard anywhere from like a third to a sixth round pick. And I think ultimately what they ended up with was this sliding, sc- sliding scale between money and picks. Right. So I think if the Browns had paid, uh, the Browns had been willing to pay an extra $3 million, maybe this is a seventh round pick. And if the Browns were willing to pay $3 million less then maybe this was a, four, a fourth with a conditional third, you know, that kind of that sliding scale. Um, and then, you know, obviously they were about a million apart uh, for the past week or so. And then they just, they, they all made it happen. They got in touch with Baker himself, himself to get out of that weird Cleveland situation. So, um, but now, now he's here. Uh, and it's funny, like, I feel like you're seeing all the national media react and you're seeing a lot of people kind of have this visceral reaction. And I think I had just kind of made, I don't want to say my, made my peace with it, but I had kind of, I had like, I had kind of moved on from the idea that Baker was going to be the quarterback uh, a couple months ago or last month, because it kind of seemed so inevitable that it was going to happen. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think anyone... We'll disagree. At least I haven't found anyone to disagree that Baker definitely makes his team better in the short term. Uh, you know, a lot of the questions that I have are more longer term kind of questions about the direction that they're taking in regards to that position. We'll get to that in a second here. But like at the same time, like they're bringing in Mayfield. Um, you know, he's going to have all training camp, you know, to compete for the job, whatever that means. I think he's probably going to win it when it's all said and done. Um, My biggest question, though, is like, how do you think the dynamics of him working with coaching staff will go? Because, I mean, you can't go on, log on Twitter without looking at, you know, Ben McAdoo's rankings and opinion of Mayfield a couple years ago. I mean, I haven't really, I mean, I know, John, you've been watching, you know, some tape of Mayfield. I haven't really studied him too in depthly last year. I just, watch whatever I saw on TV and a few games on film. But I mean, he, he looks to be again, an okay, like he's definitely NFL capable starting quarterback. He's better than Darnold. He makes him better. But like, is this just like another Teddy Bridgewater situation where you have like a capable NFL starter, but like the ceiling of the team probably isn't going to be reached because you know, you, the guy probably doesn't mesh well with your OC. There's, you know, chance of, I mean, the offensive line for as good as we think it improved, it's still probably like average at best. 
So like, how do you just think the dynamics of him working within this offense in the short term is going to go? You know, it's in, it's interesting because when you really look at what Baker Mayfield does well, um, it kind of lines up with what Sam Darnold does well. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they want to get him, uh, you know, they're going to try and limit his reads, I'm sure, break up half the field, roll him to his right, not to his left, and, and, and let him make uh, easy decisions. And it'll be interesting to see whether Ben McAdoo adjusts to – this is something that, that – it feels like the Matt rule era has they've talked about a lot, but I'm not sure they've actually done it is adjust to the personnel on the roster. Um, I, I think that Joe Brady didn't really adjust to Teddy Bridgewater. Um, he tried to make it as easy as possible for Sam last year. And, and it'll be curious to see if Ben McAdoo continues that 11 personnel, uh, get the ball out of his hands quickly that, that Baker could be okay in, but I, I don't know. I, I think it was more of a question of we need another quarterback that's not Sam Darnold or else I'm going to get fired. So what do we got to mm. do to make that happen? Yeah, Josh, that's interesting. Uh, Josh Klein is our guest in the Riot Report and the inaugural visit here to the Roar Podcast, a little uh, cross-pollination uh, here. We appreciate it, man. Um, I don't know what to make of that last comment. You know, because we talk to people around the league. I know you do. I know I do. Billy does as well. And you get a mixed bag sense of like, okay, who's really at the top of the proverbial food chain when it comes to making this decision? You know, it's David Tepper. We get that. But what's the power structure there? Is it somewhat different than it's been? Is it still Matt with final say, but with a caveat? Is it Scott and Dan running the show with Smear? Is it David Tepper? Give us your best estimation of relative to the Baker Mayfield situation, at least, what that power dynamic looked like when making this decision. You know, I hate to I hate to give you this answer because it does sound like a, a cop out and and just uh, and just coach speak from what they're telling us, but it really yeah. does seem like they collaborate on a lot of this stuff. And mm-hmm. and if you're being realistic, um, Scott Bitter was involved in that Sam Darnold trade too, and yep. I'm not sure that Scott Bitter would be super excited about another season where the quarterback that they just traded three picks for looks like Sam Darnold did last year, and they right. lose a bunch of games and. Just because we, just because the national media is talking about Matt Rule's seat being hot, doesn't mean that all those seats in that building are not hot. Everyone wants to preserve their job and make the team better. And I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a tough sell to your owner David Tepper. I don't think it's a tough sell to GM Scott Fitter, who's a smart guy, obviously understands the league, to say, hey, here's this distressed asset. We could bring in a new starting quarterback for one year, five million dollars. It's going to make our team it's going to make our team better uh, in the short term this season easily. Like there is no question that if Baker Mayfield is the starting quarterback, instead of Sam Darnold, this team is going to be better. You could make the argument and I'll get flamed for this. He might be the second most talented quarterback they've had starting in franchise history. Uh, And you could put him right up there with DeLome. I think you get some DeLome people coming after my neck now, but the guys want to play off games. So I just want to say I'm with you on that. I think it's a good roster move. Baker can save him by going nine and, you know, eight. I think that can happen. I guess what saves them here is it's not a financial commitment after next year, which is what got them last year with Sam Darnold. Yeah. And, and I mean, it ultimately got them with Teddy Bridgewater and, and the, the, one of the things that I, that I've seen a little bit is that the Panthers are kind of taking that Seattle approach to throwing darts at the quarterback like John Schneider did uh, when Scott Fitter was there as well, 
uh, very early in his career. And obviously that worked out. The, the difference between those two, when you make those comparisons, is that in the first year that they were throwing darts, they drafted Russell Wilson in the third round. So yep. if you can draft the generational quarterback in the third round, it makes it, it makes it okay to sign Matt Flynn to a big deal and to keep yep. Matt Hassel back on the roster. So yep. I can tell you this for a fact. If Matt Corral turns out to be as good as Russell Wilson, nobody mm. is going to care about this Baker Mayfield trade in four years. Nobody. Right. So, like, uh, I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But yeah. uh, that, that, like, obviously success, uh, success erases all mistakes. Um, so I yes. think that uh, – <laughs> and, and I don't want – and I just want to – I got to go back here for a second because I don't want to uh, – I don't want to – I got to circle back on this. I don't want to steamroll it. But um, there are going to be a lot of Steve Berline fans out there that are super oh pissed off at you. Oh God! And uh, Josh, you know, Josh, why, why, why? When you why throw for you, when you throw for four thousand yards, you need to get mentioned as one of the most talented quarterback. No, the crazy legs, Berline. QB draw was one of the good, one of the greatest oh plays in Panthers history. And I Absolutely, taken down on that. I, you know what? I'm going. I'm going in the closet of shame here for two minutes. It's a two minute penalty for Ellis here, leaving Berline off that list. You're right. The Green Bay game, the 4,000 yards, the, the week 17, remember that against New Orleans? And, and then Seifert, I mean, let's have a little moment here, Josh, you and I. Seifert just rolls up into the office one day with the shades on and says, ah, you're out. It's Jeff Lewis time. How'd that work out? I think from my perspective, this trade, when I looked at the entire component of it, the financials, the compensation that went out the door, and if I'm a Panthers fan looking at this, saying to myself, you know what? Okay. Now, does it feel repetitive, like another game show trick, another Band-Aid? Sure, it feels kind of stupid that they're doing this over and over. I get it. But practically, this is not a stupid idea. I don't think so. I think Garoppolo at this salary or any salary with that shoulder would have been right back in the Cam Newton trap of 2020. So I think they did a good job steering away from whatever temptation was there. However, it might have been serious or not. I mean, you're hearing from people like you and others that not so much. And others will tell you, hey, some people really like Jimmy. I looked at that tape and I said, boy, if they don't have the perfect conditions around Jimmy here, he won't last nine games. So I think Baker's going to give him a better punch in the long run there in terms of energy. I, I really do. And it's, it's not a disastrous move. It's just, uh, hey, we're all been three years into this thing and it's been one shit show after another. We just got to see it turn. Yeah, I think I think just like you said, man, when you look at this trade in a vacuum, you trade for Baker Mayfield and it's and less than five million dollars of salary. Uh, and you trade him a conditional fifth round pick that will be a fourth round pick or else you, or else the trade failed. If it ends up being right. a fifth round pick and he doesn't play yeah. 70% of the snaps, you're fired anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, uh, you look at that in a vacuum and, and that's a win. Like there is no, there is no question, but you can't look at it in a vacuum. You got to look at it as what they have done to the quarterback position over the past three years. The fact that they have assembled this quarterback room of, uh, of PJ Walker Matt Corral, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield, and it has cost them a second round, a third round, two fourths, a fifth, and a sixth. So when you look at all of those moves together and this kind of, I don't want to say refusal to, because obviously, you know, tank is such a dirty word, and I would never say that any team is tanking, but you could set yourself up for success. And I think that this team thought that they could go about it a different way and retool on the fly and mm -hmm. and uh, and keep themselves at a mediocre level before they jumped up to being a Super Bowl contender, and that's yeah. just not the way that it has worked in the NFL ever. Like I, I just yep. and I'm, totally agree. I don't know Josh, that that totally is a good agree. way to do it. 
So it was an awful idea. I, we've, Billy and I have hit that so many times. I'm glad to hear we have somebody out there of rational thought with us on that. We, we thought that that was just a half measure and here we are. So hopefully they're on the rise again. I, I can't think of another NFL team that has approached this position like this, because like, I'm honestly wondering in the back of my head, like if they drafted a rookie, whoever it was, and if they had a really poor season, like, you know, some of the rookies did last year, whether it was Lawrence Wilson or fields, like, would they be like quick to give up on them because like they didn't play well? Like I'm, that's just wondering in the back of my head. And that's, you know, not a very pleasant thought. How about Billy real quick. How about this theory? Just to, to add to your little sauce there. Maybe they didn't draft any of those guys because they prefer to do it this way. Maybe they enjoy this little cycle of veteran, you know, grab bag. It feels like a damn game show. And until you win, until you get a Russell Wilson, it does feel bad. It really is suspect they they passed on that many quarterbacks. This year's draft was a little bit different, obviously, and they got one. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, man. Josh is right. If Corral ends up panning out next year, everybody forgets about all this. All right. I don't, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. Um, I, I just think that, you know, it's just different path. And mm-hmm. I think that there was a very rational path for this team to go on. And the last thing to do is to dwell on hypotheticals. I really don't like to be that kind of person, but it's like when you look back at what has happened to this team over the past three years, the way they've put together this roster, um, you kind of have to look at some hypotheticals and you say, Hey, there was a way for that this team to bottom out in 2020 cam Luke, Greg, all those guys are leaving. Mm -hmm. I think the fan base would have been very, and probably the owner would have been very accepting with an idea of like, Hey, you know what? All these guys are leaving. We've got fresh face. We've got young guys on this team. Let's see what we can do with uh, whether it's Will Greer at quarterback or Kyle Allen or whoever. And this team is, is, you know, young and on the rise they have some talented pieces like dj moore and baron burns and then they go into the draft next year and they go and get a quarterback like kind of that story the way that the nfl has worked that ebb and flow of like this team is bad then they draft a quarterback now they're good again or at (laughs) least they have the chance to be good you have kind of a two or three year buffer window here i'm not sure where this where that buffer window comes from for the panthers um but i the, the the reality is is that they did get better on when they made this trade on Wednesday. Like they are better today yeah. than they were on Monday, but the same sentence still applies. In order for the Carolina Panthers to make the playoffs in 2022, Christian McCaffrey has to play 15 games, whether it's Baker yeah. Mayfield or Sam Darnold. So it doesn't really matter. So right. the, the yeah. season is not going to hinge on Baker. It's going to hinge on Christian. And, and Josh, I think the biggest question for me moving forward is just obviously we don't know the dynamics of, you know, how the power struggle works. And obviously, yes, like, you know, I think collaboration makes the most sense among the three. Um, you know, we had former Panthers beat writer Jonathan Alexander tell us that, you know, he thinks at, at the same time, like we thought that, you know, maybe Scott Fitter was safe, you know, heading into this season that he's not necessarily on the hot seat like Matt Rule, but he says, you know, don't be so sure. He could also be on the hot seat too. And so just like my question, it's just about the long-term future because I'm not John or myself, even most fans I speak to there, we were never asking for like a full on like Cleveland Brown style tank. We're not asking for that at all. And I think if they approach this rebuild by, you know, maybe not necessarily selling off assets, but just kind of trading in players. Like if you're in a trade, trade Turner, trade him for like a draft pick instead of bringing back a 33 year old left tackle who's, you know, injury. Uh, damn. And so to me, it's just 
they've gone about not only just the quarterback position, but just their entire, um, you know, franchise building process in a very like uh, convoluted way. Like they operate as if they're in the That's middle, man. like they're like, you know, in purgatory or like whatever, but they're, they can't really exceed five wins, which, you know, I'm not necessarily asking for them to again, go, you know, sell McCaffrey or do all this stuff. I'm just uh, thinking logically about how they could, you know, they could have approached this entire process, which much more of a long-term vision. So they aren't in this position, you know, trading for a quarterback on, in the, you know, in the beginning of July. I, I mean, if you have questions about their process, the trading for a quarterback in the middle of July is not as surprising as trading for a cornerback last year when they traded for Stephon Gilmore at the, at the deadline. Like, like this is a team that viewed themselves in win now mode last year. Like they thought that they could go, they started three and L and they're probably, I mean, let's be honest, they're probably going to start this season three and one. So when you look at like, are they good? Are they then going to say, Hey, let's go out. Let's, let's go out and get somebody else. Cause we're, we're close to competing for not just a playoff spot, but, uh, you know, higher than that. Um, because it, it's this weird balance between win now and prepare for the future. And sometimes it feels like they are tilted a little bit more towards win now um, than, than maybe they should be. And that, that's totally fine. I have no issue with them approaching it, you know, that way. My only issue is that, you know, like they've, if that's the case, then I would have wanted them to be a little more aggressive in their pursuits of, you know, other star players, not necessarily. And, but they've just, they've gone through so many draft picks. And again, some of them are late round picks. I understand that, but it, it's there. There's still the idea that, you know, you trade a future third for Matt Corral and, you know, he's most likely going to be the third string quarterback unless, you know, he surprised everyone at camp. And again, I don't, I don't really know what to expect. He's going to be taking third string snaps, yeah. presumably when camp begins. Uh, but you know, on top of that, you know, CJ Henderson, it, it's a good reclamation project in, in in essence. But what what are you going to get from him heading into year three? Where you know, yeah, it's well been a little and, disappointing. And Billy, what what was I was at camp, but Josh, you were there too. Sam Darnold's best buddy was Dan Arnold. I mean, you put him in a blender to begin with, with this offensive line, you know it's going to be hard. And I know Dan got hurt, but we didn't know that was going to happen. I, I just felt that was counterproductive to Sam's development too. But again, not my billions. You, you guys spin it however you want over there. Uh, I mean, if we're going to break down old trades, I think that C.J. Henderson is certainly not their worst uh, a third-round pick. Third-round pick is such a gamble anyway. I mean, you guys, you guys do more draft stuff than me. But like, at, once you get past like pick 40 – it's like, it's like a 20% chance of success, maybe, maybe even lower. So if you can get a guy that you, that, that has, that, you know, has that kind of talent that maybe doesn't have that, that, that hasn't been in the right spot. Um, I, I didn't really have a huge problem with that. I understand the idea that maybe you don't like it. Certainly not in hindsight um, when you see where this team ended up, but, and where, where uh, that third, even where that pick ended up. But um, I, I think at that particular time, that was kind of a calculated gamble, but ultimately the, the idea is that, you know, if we're just going to focus in on this Baker trade, um, I, I, you know, it's easier for, it's easy to see the reasons why they did it. 
that that's my that's my main kind of takeaway. Would I have would I have done it? Probably not. But I'm not running the team, and it's easy to say, okay, well, this is why they went out and and got Baker Mayfield slash another quarterback who ended up being Baker. No, for sure. Yeah, I just want to say, yeah, yeah for, in hindsight, yeah, like John and I, we thought it was an okay trade. I had a little more questions about the player than he did. Um, I, I guess my only issue is just, is just how many trades they've made and, you know, none of them necessarily hitting. Yeah, and that's just the yeah, little I mean, more look, the concerning it, part. And, and Josh, it's, Josh, it's fair. The hindsight, we could sit here all day, and I think I'm, I'm the one beating into the ground a little much here. We could go to another subject. But he is right. Like, hey, we could sit here all day and parse this. I did like Dan Arnold. That's all I'm going back to. He's a good tight end, physical guy. C.J. Henderson's a guy I look at and say, you know what? He's had some question marks. Let's just say that in terms of his ability to want to play this game. It's just back to what Josh says about this, this regime, I think, feels like a fix-it Felix type of character. It's like, I can fix it. If you're broken, I can fix you. They like to complain projects. They like to go to the salvage market and say, I've got a guy here in Sam Darnold that I can fix. Okay, that didn't work. Baker, obviously, easier to fix. I think they think CJ is going to be good for them. So I, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, I did want to ask you, Josh, like for, from your perspective, when you watch this team grow, I think there's some positive things to look at. I, I know that's a hard thing to say when you have 10 wins in two years, but you have to grade it more on, you know, trajectory, how you playing in the second half of the season. That's been a mess. I'd like to see that go down better. But I, I do like what they did, that first defensive draft. They go all in. They get themselves some cornerstone guys. Jeremy Chin is going to be back as strong safety. We love that. Derek Brown's serviceable. I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's a good guy inside. We'll see how that goes. I, I think Brian Burns, it's a big year. Now he's not looking at Hassan Reddick on the opposite side. That does concern me a little bit. Talk to me about, are you hearing any edge rushers on the market? I know Dunlap came in for a visit. Are they going to pretty much stand pat with YGM and their young guys on the other side there? I, you know, you say it's a big year for Brian Burns. I think it's almost even a bigger year for YGM because like that guy has to start producing in a big way. They spent a big, they spent a, uh, a fair amount of draft capital first pick of the second round on each or gross matches. And, and yeah. ultimately, you know, he's facing injury problems, but I don't think he has lived up to that draft position. And if he is not able to stay on the field or, and you know, it's Marquis Haynes or Frankie Louvu isn't able to take some pressure off Burns it's going to obviously we know they just going to get double teamed as the yep. season went on last year. He, he even talked about how frustrated he was and, you know, he's seeing more, more double teams than he's ever seen before in his entire career and his entire yeah. life. So uh, it, it's going to be tough for them to produce that pressure um, opposite Brian Burns. I, I would not be surprised if they continue to kick the tires on all these vet uh, edge rushers. Um, yeah. Somebody told me once, and this is not, about Carlos Dunlap by any means. Uh, somebody told me once that <laughs> these guys that have been in the league for like 10 years, they're not going to sign a contract before OTAs or minicamp because they don't want to go. That's so, the Michael Strahan contract right there. That's the Strahan deal. They're going to run one of those. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Julius Peppers did the same thing a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. So I, I don't, I don't think that um, it wouldn't surprise me if they brought in another guy uh, as, as camp rolled around, but it's it's just like we've been talking about, right? If 
if it's me, I'm going to say, you know what? I want to see my young guys out there and I want them to get that, those snaps. And we just brought back Marquise Haynes. Let's get, let's get Etor. Let's get Marquise. Let's get Frankie Louvu out there and let's see what happens with these guys. And if they end up failing, then at least we know that's a hole that we got to plug next off season, as opposed to let's bring in a one-year guy that could maybe take some pressure off Brian Burns and improve his sack numbers, Josh, his contract number. I know, much higher. but to me, Josh, that's where the confusion comes in for a lot of fans out there. I think you and I and Billy kind of understand what we're talking here, but in one breath, we're talking about all three of us that, Hey, Matt rule, the stakes seem high right now. Let's go get Baker Mayfield. We can bandage that wound up and play good quarterback and moving forward. It's, it's just as important on that opposite side of Brian Burns, I think to make sure that you don't have a donut on that side. And no disrespect to Frankie, he played some great ball last year, but this is full-time stuff now. You're talking about Marcus Haynes, who's a little undersized. I, it, to me, it's like, play the young guys, yes, I love that. But if they're trying to win uh, and they've got the cap money and, and they feel like Dunlap can get it done or one of these vets, I think that's something you got to go do. But again, these guys scout these guys enough, I don't. Maybe there's something injury-wise they don't like, maybe personality-wise. you got to be careful bringing guys in. But I'll say this, just Redick, what he did on tape the first six, seven weeks, they, that cannot be replicated. So that your people just have to understand that they were just murdering quarterbacks left and right in those first few games and even into the middle of the season. Uh, that's gone now. So you're going to get used to the fact that Burns is going to be asked to do more. And maybe they're bringing more pressure from the back end now, and it's going to put a lot of strain on some very good corners. And I like them, but it's going to look a little different this year. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I'll be, uh, uh, I, I always like what Phil Snow does from a schematic standpoint. So yeah, it'll, yep. be, it'll be interesting to see what, what he does with this personnel that they have, especially with the linebackers they have. Um, I, they brought in guys that they like, uh, a, a few, a couple of, I wouldn't say older veterans, but, you know, more experienced that can play. Um, mm-hmm. just have a slightly different skill set than Jermaine Carter did last year and even Frankie when he was playing. So I'll be interested to see how much of an impact Corey Littleton has. He's a, he, he has that – he is an excellent cover safety, so maybe they don't end up dropping the guys like Brian Burns and, and Haynes and Louvu, those guys that, that are – they can just pin their ears back and rush. They run more of a four-man, four-man front uh, than they have in the past and for more guys with their hands in the dirt. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't think we're going to get an idea of that until probably week one, because at this point, there's no reason to, uh, there's no reason to put it out there at training camp when, when everything's being live streamed or even put it out there in preseason. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Billy, real quick, and you know this, Josh, you look at the schedule and you can kind of get a sense of where it's going. 22 personnel, 12 personnel, Cleveland, Dallas, teams like that. Buckle your chin strap up. That's what you're facing. You're facing run heavy. You're facing power. You're facing Bill Callahan. He's been a nightmare coming into that stadium and wrecking dreams at the offensive line position. So I would just say, you know, this things can happen. They could surprise you with the game plan. But Cleveland is going to run 35 times no matter what, especially with Watson out, presumably. So it's a big test for them, I think, Josh, coming in. Because setting the edge and holding the edge and fitting the run and force defenders being out of spots, it, it really crippled them in a few ways last year and the year before. And then that's got to start getting a little better there. Um, going to be fascinating, really, to see the next wave of defenders and see how they fare in this defense. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's just a question. You know, my biggest question with this defense is like at the edge rusher position, because you remember the game uh, against Washington and they had some others too. Uh, late in the year where the run defense was you know, not performing at a pretty acceptable level. And I think a lot of it had to do with 
know, the teams that would, you know, stretch the ball outside the defensive yeah. ends and no one could honestly set the edge. Burns struggled with it too. Um, you know, and Reddick, he, you know, I, I like the guy and I'm happy he got paid by the Eagles, but he's not the biggest edge rusher in the world. Um, so they really didn't make any efforts to upgrade that. And they still could. I think Dunlap would be an excellent addition because I think that's, you know, what he excels at is just, um, you know, he understands the foundations of setting an edge and, uh, you know, playing your gaps fits correctly. So it, it, I'm going to be curious. I do trust, um, you know, the coaching on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to, uh, you know, pass rushing situations, you know, they drafted yeah. Barno uh, and they obviously have Marquise Haynes returning and Burns, obviously we know about. Uh, so I think their pressure packages are going to be fine. It's just, you know, how well do they play on run defense um, that gives them a chance on the passing downs. Um, that's going to be the biggest question for me. Yeah, for sure. I still, I still think that this, uh, it, especially after adding Baker, and I would imagine for the next two weeks, there's going to be a lot of talk about how the Panthers can be a fringe playoff team and how much better they've gotten and, and yada, yada, yada. And that may, you know, seep into the mindset of the decision makers. And they may say, hey, you know what? We're an edge rusher away from going to the playoffs. Let's go out and get somebody, even if it, if it does cost us some cap room next year. Um, again, whether well, – whether that's how we would put together the roster or how I would put together the roster uh, right. is not for us to decide. All we can do is react to what they do. So um, I, I think, I mean, I, I said it before, I don't think I'm breaking any news. I don't think I'm talking, taking turns out of school to say that, you know, that this, uh, this coaching staff and this regime, they need to win this season in order to keep their jobs. So I, why, if you had, if you had to do it, then you would do everything you possibly could yeah. to to get to get those guys in there to keep your job. Let's let's just say that. I mean, because I agree with you, it's got to be for momentum here in terms of wins. It, I, we could talk all day about projections and how guys are looking, the young guys playing well. But what has bothered me from day one with this is you've seen the Fox and Rivera teams those first two years. They weren't great. The first year, you know, Bron's team was you know quite bad at times. John got to go in the second year. But in the second half of each of those seasons, you look at the EPA per play, they were at the top of the league. I mean, remember those games they went into Philly and dominated Monday night, to San Diego on the road in 2012. I know these aren't, you know, top-flying teams here, but they still got it done. And I think what Rule's team has got to start doing, and I'm not saying it's all on Matt. I'm not saying it's all on, you know, the quarterbacks or whatever, but this whole collective unit needs to start doing better after Thanksgiving. They need to be in some type of hunt where it's competitive, and, and not a token in the hunt thing. You know, it's fine to see that graphic. I'd like kind of miss it actually after a few years, <laughs> but uh, just to kind of, you know, go, go toe to toe with Brady because they have been mopped the floor over and over and over by this Tampa team. A lot of people have, but I, I think Josh, to, to my point, I think that's what you're looking for. Maybe it's nine wins, 10 wins, but at least for the love of God, show us after, you know, November 1st or November 15th. Yeah, seriously. You're, you're able to nut up and let's get some wins where you maybe, they ain't expected to win because Ron did that early on. Foxy did it. But, yeah, Josh, your thoughts on that? I mean, what, what, what's sort of the defining, if you can, loosely defined way to, to, to bring them back next year? What, what do you have to see from, from this staff? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, you know, winning games in November, December, January, certainly against more talented opponents, those things are going to help. I, I, think it, I, don't, I think it's pretty fair to say that this team took a step backwards last year. Uh, as opposed to year one of the rule regime. Um, and, and 
if we're being honest and I hate to, I hate to just throw this guy under the bus. It's hard not to blame the quarterback change. You know, Teddy Bridgewater was a professional quarterback that played like an average quarterback, put together an average Mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater season and they moved on from him and they brought in a guy who was the, was the worst quarterback in the league from a numbers perspective. And then he played like it again uh, for, for last season when he was in the game, uh, when he was, when he was in. To this day, that's such an unbelievable thing to actually hear you say. And it actually happened. It's hard to, uh, (laughs) so so it's hard to place the blame in other spots. You know, there were a lot of other guys on the team that didn't play well, don't get me wrong. Um, But, but I think that that is one of the reasons why they were so, uh, why they were so clear that they needed to, add, add another quarterback or make a change at quarterback essentially. Um, But I I think you're absolutely right. You need to see not just changes. And and it's so interesting. This is the thing that I think about all the time is after year one of Matt rule, there were articles and everybody thought to themselves, Hey, this team is on the, this team only won five games, but they're on the right track. They're doing things the right way. They are moving up and up and up. And they they weren't listening to Billy. Well, hold on. (laughs) That that, ahead, sentiment went, that sentiment went right out the window over the course of the past uh, over the pa- past eighteen months, and I think a lot of that revolves around this the the Sam Darnold trade. So if they can do whatever they can do to move on from that and erase that bad taste and get back to putting uh, even an average quarterback around some playmakers, they did improve the offensive line. I know Billy, you said they were, that it was close to average. I would say it's in the top half of the league now versus the bottom quarter where it was last season, at least from a talent standpoint and, you know, injuries happen. So who the hell knows, you know, somebody, somebody tears their ACL in first week of training camp and we're having a whole different conversation. So uh, I think they have done some work this off season it's just this this obsession with changing the quarterback has made me question whether or not they're trying to get better this season or whether they're trying to get better for the future of the franchise, especially when they have been preaching patience uh, for the past three seasons. Yeah, gosh, that, that honestly irks me so much because if they were trying to really preach patience, they would have taken a different approach. And I, and I think the biggest thing moving forward is just, and I just think fans just want to see some sort of coherent you know, forward thinking strategy. And I don't know if Baker will work out or not. I think for the fans sake, I hope it does because, you know, the past couple of years have been really rough for them. And it, you know, even the Bridgewater year, I even told John and others, like I was fine with keeping Teddy Bridgewater if you weren't going to draft a quarterback. And even if you did draft a quarterback, mm-hmm. like, you know, Fields or Jones or whoever, he would have been a perfectly fine mentor. I mean, the person that person that started the the end of the Teddy Bridgewater era was was David Tepper himself, who talked about their what you needed to what kind of quarterback you needed to be to be successful right after he had fired Marty Herney, um, which was clearly throwing uh, Teddy under the bus. So I, I I don't know, man. I like I, I don't have a good answer for you on who on who uh, made these particular quarterback decisions. Um, but, but it seemed, but uh, again, I don't, I don't think that they are having screaming matches with each other at bank of America stadium about whether they want Baker Mayfield or whether they want Sam Darnold or whether they want PJ Walker or Justin Fields or, uh, Mac Jones or Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter or Kenny Mm -hmm. Pickett, 
you know, like I, I feel like they, they do, they, they work pretty well together. And I, obviously they're going to be different guys pounding the table for other guys, for different guys. But um, I, I do think, you know, I think a lot of these decisions are, are fairly collaborative, but ultimately, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're going to do what they, what they think is best to, uh, to make the team better. But then, you know, I, I think, I do think that they're going to have their own personal interests at heart. For sure. No, and I totally agree with that. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that's what's occurring. I just obviously disagree with, you know, the approach and um, I just want, I just want some semblance of consistency at that position. That's the biggest thing. And, uh, you know, if Baker's that guy, if Corral's that guy, then, you know, great. And I think we can all move forward. It's just everything else that they've done from a team building perspective, in my opinion, has been fairly straightforward and sound. I have really no issues with it outside of, you know, some of the trades they made last year when they thought they were closer than what they were. And I hope that doesn't occur this year. Maybe they, you know, the amount of draft capital that they've burned it probably prevents them from doing that. But still, uh, I just want to make that clear. And and I just think moving forward, you know, they, they've done some smart things in the offseason. I thought their free agency was perfectly okay, given their resources, especially at the offensive line position. Um, you know, it's going to be a step up for Iquanu. I know there was some talk about, you know, not necessarily his conditioning, but just his acclimation period. And that's kind of why I, I want to, as much as I think that they've improved the offensive line, I just want to keep the expectations a little lower just so, you know, you have a rookie in there and then your potential left guard, uh, whether it's Christensen, didn't really play well there in that position. So I'm just looking for the development in that, you know, position to hopefully take a step forward. And I want to keep the expectations a little fine, but I do think ultimately it's a huge upgrade over what we saw last year. That was one of the worst. Um, but Josh, as we log off here, um, what are your kind of final expectations for this team? You don't have to give me a win loss record. I'm not going to hold you to that, but um, you know, on the whole, like what are you kind of expecting going into year uh, number three for Matt Rule and company? Um, well, uh, I can tell you uh, that I am hopeful that we see continued growth um, from uh, last season, from the first season to the second season to this season. Um, not just from the players that are on the, the field. You know, obviously you want to see guys like Jeremy Chin make a jump up. You want to see Brian Burns be able to handle those double teams and, and not have not be phased by them. Maybe Derek Brown improves his pass rush a little bit. Um and from a coaching perspective, I do think that Matt Rule did himself a big favor uh, by bringing in some of these more um, savvy veteran head coach or veteran former head coaches, but just guys that have more NFL experience, whether it's Steve Wilkes, whether it's Ben McAdoo, somebody that, that can go to him and say, hey, man, like we got to we got to do something else or this isn't working or how can we he can go to for advice. Um, I mean, I said it two years ago when he was putting together his staff, he desperately needed a former NFL head coach as whatever, uh, you know, whether it was going to be assistant head coach or whatever, whatever weird position they give to these guys um, to get in his ear and help him acclimate from being in college to being an NFL head coach. Cause it's not an easy transition. So I would like to see that coaching staff continue to make that transition. And, um, and if they're not going to continue to make that transition, then, then let's, uh, then, then let's realize where the issues are and uh and and make some changes 
Yeah. I have sure. a question for you guys. I have a question for you guys, actually. Go um, ahead. Because I, I had a discussion. This was a, a while ago with somebody uh, when when Sam Darnold was still the quarterback, and they said, "Hey, why why should I watch games and um, and, and go to games and, and be and call myself a Panthers fan when um, when when I know the team is not doing the correct thing, or whether whether I'm not a fan of what the product that they're putting on the field is." And to me, my immediate answer was, hey, listen, man, like that's what being a fan is, is you still identify as a Panthers fan when the team is bad, when they're making decisions that you don't like, when things are when things are going poorly, when they're getting blown out. It it doesn't like I I feel like in today's day and age, there's a lot of fair weather fans and uh, especially a lot of people that that became fans of the team since 2011, they don't really realize what it's like to be the fan of a bad team or not necessarily a bad team, but of a team that, that doesn't have a franchise star quarterback. And, um, and and I just kind of wanted to get you guys take on, on what it means to, what it means to be a fan, because obviously I, I I mean, I'm in the roaring riot. I I started the mile high cats and I, I have been a Panthers fan since I was, 13 years old. I have my, my name is on one of the statues outside of bank of America stadium. So, um, not Jerry's, I hope. No, it's still there. It's, uh, thank God, it's thank of, God yeah. Josh. I don't normally like to police fan behavior because, um, you know, people like when we say something negative or when we comment on a post, like if John posts a picture or like a clip of Darnold interception, you'll get a, a wrath of random people calling him a fake fan, all this other stuff. Like, why are you so negative? So I'm, (laughs) I'm just like, I don't police fan behavior. Obviously still like continue to watch and you should continue to support and whatever. Like if you don't want to spend your money, like, you know, on merchandise and stuff like that, that's, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone how to spend their money. Um, You know, I watch all the games, you know, sometimes it's just better for me if I'm not necessarily like indulging in the, in the Twitter back and forth commentary. Like if, you know, I'm watching a game live and I have certain thoughts, especially negative, I'm just not going to like voice them. If I, maybe I was like a couple years ago, but as far as just being a fan, like I'm not going to tell anyone how to be a fan. That's number one. Um, I, I think you should, I, I, I agree with you. I think you should continue to be a fan. Um, it's just, it's really difficult in general to just give up on a team and just make the transition unless it's just like such an egregious action. Like if they traded for, you know, the current quarterback in Houston, I probably would have been done, but I'm glad they didn't, even though it still kind of irks me that they were involved in such a high capacity of it. Um, but Davis Mills. Uh, yeah. The old, the Cleveland. Which one? Um, anyway. Uh, sorry. Sorry. But no, I couldn't, I couldn't help. He might be an upgrade. Shit. Oh, I, 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 I would take Davis Mills on heartbeat, but no, I for sure. Too. Um, He's young. but no, I, I, I think that, you know, everyone should just, you know, go about the way John was talking. John probably has more perspective because him and I were talking about this the other day. I mean, Josh, you and I are kindred spirits, man, because look, I think we're about the same age. We came into the same time. I was uh, down here at Clemson for their, uh, you know, inaugural win as Sam picking off the, the, the Bubby Brister, you know, shovel. And my dad and brother are there in the same corner. He's running to a Death Valley. And I was hooked, man. I was in for life. But here's what happens. You know, everybody's got their own story. And you've got an amazing story you've done with the riot there. And I, I congratulate you and 
Zach and those guys, it, it's just really is. And I'm not even blowing smoke here. You guys do a hell of a job merging, you know, from your end, the news side of it, but also being a fan. And that's not easy to do. And it's done quite well. So I appreciate you for that. About four years ago, I got to a point where like every game, even like uh, like 2007 against the Rams, you know, the dome over there in St. Louis or Drew Carter got the pass. I'm grinding, like I'm biting my nails for that game. And I started realizing over the years, you know, this is not the way I want to live my life. And when they lose a game like in 2006 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 31 nothing, and my pregnant wife is there freezing her ass off. And I'm just, you know, just a foul mood. All those factors and then having kids and watching them grow, I, I started watching a little less games and I said, you know what, let's take the fan hat off a little bit and let's try to build some film study analysis around this, maybe get to do a podcast. It's been a dream come true. But on the fan side, look, I want to see this team do well. I, I want to identify with it, though. I want to feel like, to, to me, things do evolve and change. And I don't think there's a conspiracy to get rid of keep pounding. There's been a lot of concern, though, that when you get a new regime, you get a new alpha male in the building. You need to see some results with that. And I think folks are more pragmatic in their fandom now than they used to be because of, I guess, all that we have at our disposal to sort of digest the news cycle. Maybe that's not a good thing. I don't know. I, I tend to think it is because it at least helps you make an informed decision if you follow the right people and the right type of reporting. But, Josh, I, I, I feel you, man. It sucks because – my kids, like Andrew, my, my youngest son, he's 13. His first game was Cam's last start there that he won before he came back, 2018, against the Bucks. The last game they won before they won the skip. And that was his first game. He got the big foam finger. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I, this is like my life now. And what I had to tell him recently was, oh, look, I went through 2001, bro. I, I sat through that frigid, friggin' cold weather every week I went to those games. Every game, like a nut job. And they lost them all. I came out of that like as a fan, trying to be like a war hero, like it made me stronger for the, the big run we had. But in a way, it does. Like if you go through these crappy moments and you don't give up on a team, when the tide does turn and they start winning, I mean, Josh, you can't disagree with that, I don't think, man. You, 2003 was like, on, it was joy on steroids. It was like, unlike anything we've ever experienced. Uh, 15 was pretty damn special. But 03 yeah, still kind of has my heart. And that's, I'm glad you brought this question up because it, it really does. It, it's a special place in my heart. My family has been longtime fans, but um, I'm in a place now where like, I enjoy them winning. I love to see them winning. I don't hate them. I have no animosity. I can be snarky as hell, but I just try to like carve it up fair for people, give some historical perspective, but this team deserves better. The fans deserve better. I think Matt wants to do better. I don't know where David's head is. He sounds like he wants to be a winner, but you know, like Pat Kerwin says, you got to learn how to own. We need some Chad Coda memories. We need some of those days back, my friend. Come on now. I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I agree with a couple of things. The first one is Bill, you're absolutely right. Uh, telling people how to fan or how to be a fan is a bad, is a bad way to live. And uh, however, however, people want to enjoy the the Carolina Panthers. I assume if they're listening to this podcast, certainly to the end, they uh, they are fans, of, of big fans, uh, and they you know they're they're doing the right thing and they want the team to succeed just like anybody else. But I do agree with you, John. I think you got to go through the bad times to really enjoy those good times to make that them that much sweeter. And yes, it would be sweet if they would just go seventeen and zero and win the Super Bowl every season. Um, but I but by being by having these down times, you do appreciate the positive side of it that much more 
when, when I, I mean, I can still tell you that when Cam Newton threw that uh, 70-yard bomb to Steve Smith in his first game, it was like a catharsis after seeing Jimmy Clausen and the rest of the 2010 <laughs> Panthers score 16 <laughs> touchdowns total for the entirety yeah. of the season. Yeah, um, so totally. I, I think that you kind of, you, you do, you learn, you learn some lessons and, uh, and, and it does, it hurts at the time when you look through your Jersey collection and you see Sam, when you see 14 Darnold, you'll say yeah. to yourself, man, I sure am glad that Rich Gannon Jr. or whoever the, the next quarterback <laughs> of the future is going to be, um, is on this team. When you look back at whenever this team has had a little bit of a movement forward in a positive direction, there had to be some hard times. Richardson with what happened in 2010 with the CBA, all this stuff. I, I think a lot of fans are waiting to see that positive spark. Where's the second half wins against the playoff team? Where's something that defining like 2012 moment when they beat Atlanta? The uh, defining moment in 2002 when they knocked out New Orleans. To me, Josh, when you get one of those under your belt, the fans will start coming back a little bit. I think that's where it's at. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting, um, you know, hearing different perspectives and fans. And I, I got a lot of respect for you guys, the running ride, because you're not just dedicating three hours of your week. You're dedicating, you know, so many months in advance to plan these trips and plan these tailgates to coordinate with, you know, catering companies and, you know, breweries to get the beer. I mean, I got a lot of respect for you guys. I haven't been to a game in a while just because, you know, I enjoyed the experience of watching a game from my home much better than, you know, the – you know, the details that are involved with going to an NFL game. Um, but, you know, I got a lot of respect for, you know, a lot of the fans that have gone through what they've, what this team has done in the past couple of years. But, you know, here's hoping that, you know, things do change for the better and fans can experience, you know, a much uh, more, you know, vivid atmosphere and, you know, bring back some of those sparks we saw in 2015 and 2013 and 2003. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be a wrap for us. Uh, Josh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, you, everyone, you can find him on Twitter, Josh Klein Rules. If you follow us, you probably already follow him. Tremendous job there at the Riot Report. Uh, and every all of you guys over at the Roaring Ride, Zach, you guys do a great job um, you know, with everything. And I uh, really appreciate you, what you guys do for the fan base. So, Josh, thanks again, man. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody is uh, is interested in uh, becoming a member of the Roaring Riot or just coming out to any of the tailgates or any of the events, you can go to RoaringRiot.com. Uh, we have a tailgate, a block from the stadium. Uh, it's about a thousand people every week, live music, whether it's a DJ or a band. Um, and, you know, say what you will about the Baker Mayfield trade, but the week one uh, atmosphere around Bank of America Stadium is going to be in incredible and uh and i personally i honestly can't wait like all of the sometimes we get so caught up in the narrative and all this stuff and then you see them get back out on the field and you're like oh that's right they actually play football and uh and i i can't wait for week one to start rolling around yeah i'm with you um thank you again everyone and uh we'll see you next time whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? 
Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.